Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Come Follow Me Today, a brief message to help us create spiritual moments in our otherwise busy lives. My name is Caleb Sanford, and thank you for joining me as we accept Christ's invitation to follow him today. This week in the Book of Mormon, we've been studying 2 Nephi chapters 6 to 10. Up until now, the Book of Mormon has basically been the Nephi show. It's been a first-person story written by Nephi about his family's journey from Jerusalem, through the wilderness, across the seas, finally making it to the promised land. While there have been some chapters where Lehi was speaking, it was always just part of the story being told by Nephi. Now for the first time, we are shifting gears and are hearing from Jacob, one of Lehi's other sons, who goes into a fairly deep doctrinal sermon about Christ and the atonement, particularly in chapter 9, where I'm going to focus today. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I've never found Nephi to be particularly effective at teaching his people principles of the gospel. In most of the story so far, Nephi's attempts to teach about God come across more as just lectures towards his disobedient brothers, and often it just upsets them. Sometimes his words were able to persuade his brothers to make better choices, but he was never able to really connect them to God in a meaningful way that created a long-term change of heart. I think Nephi was a great leader and through his actions led by example, but in chapter 5, after fleeing from his brothers, Nephi called Jacob to be a priest and teacher for his people. I imagine Nephi recognized that he was not the most effective preacher and saw that Jacob had a spiritual gift to be able to communicate the gospel in a way that helped connect people to God. This is a good leadership principle for us to learn. We don't have to be good at everything to be an effective leader if we can recognize our weaknesses and find others, like Jacob, who can fill those voids. So Jacob starts his sermon by prophesying about the gathering of Israel after they have been scattered across the earth, and then quotes the prophet Isaiah for a couple chapters to emphasize the coming of the Messiah and the gathering of Israel. He then starts talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ, or the process by which Christ helps us overcome our weaknesses and come back to the presence of God. Quote, Behold, the righteous, the saints of the Holy One of Israel, they who have believed in the Holy One of Israel, they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and their joy shall be full forever. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. End quote. Jacob is trying to connect us back to God, to help us understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ can impact our lives, and how through the process of repentance we can grow closer to God so that our joy shall be full forever. He then spends much of chapter 9 trying to warn us about the things that might stand in our way of achieving this. I want to highlight a few areas that he talks about. Quote, Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! O oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men! When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God." End quote. Jacob is cautioning us to be mindful as we pursue intellectual studies. If we mistake worldly knowledge for spiritual wisdom, we run the risk of thinking we know better than those who are teaching us about Christ, and we stop hearkening unto the counsel of God. 
or perhaps more common, we engage in an intellectual investigation of God and his church and allow that to overshadow our spiritual investigation, or perhaps even prevent it from happening at all. You and I have watched some of our friends who have let their knowledge of the world get in the way of their faith in God. For some, this has led to them walking away from God if they can't reconcile their faith with their intelligence. Jacob then warns us about the potential pitfalls of acquiring wealth. Quote, But woe unto the rich, who are rich as to the things of the world. For because they are rich, they despise the poor, and they persecute the meek, and their hearts are upon their treasures. Wherefore, their treasure is their God. And behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. End quote. Christ echoed this sentiment in Luke chapter 12 when he says, quote, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. End quote. Well, I'll be the first to admit it's hard to not want to become wealthy. It's hard to not desire to make as much money at work as we can. It's hard to not see others who are very successful and feel a bit of jealousy. I want a house with a view of the mountains. I want the new ultralight REI tent that only weighs 20 ounces. I want the new Microsoft Surface Neo tablet coming out later this year. Well, I need to make sure that my heart isn't upon this treasure. Later in the Book of Mormon, Alma shows us perhaps the best recipe for acquiring wealth. Quote, And they did impart of their substance, every man according to that which he had, to the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted, and they did not wear costly apparel, yet they were neat and comely. And thus they did establish the affairs of the church, and thus they began to have continual peace again, notwithstanding all their persecutions. And now, because of the steadiness of the church, they began to be exceedingly rich, having abundance of all things whatsoever they stood in need, and abundance of flocks and herds and fatlings of every kind, and also abundance of grain and of gold and of silver and of precious things, and abundance of silk and fine-twined linen, and all manner of good homely cloth. And thus, in their prosperous circumstances, they did not send away any who were naked, or that were hungry, or that were athirst, or that were sick, or that had not been nourished. And they did not set their hearts upon the riches. Therefore they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons as to those who stood in need. And thus they did prosper and became far more wealthy than those who did not belong to the church. End quote. Okay, now back to Jacob. He then admonishes us to remember what it's like when we transgress against God. Quote, O oh, my beloved brethren, remember the awfulness in transgressing against that holy God, and also the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of that cunning one. Remember, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. End quote. I think it's important here that Jacob uses the word remember. Remember the awfulness in transgressing against the holy God. He's pointing out that we've all turned our back on God at one point or another, even if just for a moment or a day. We may have moved past that in our minds, but he wants us to remember the experience. He wants us to remember how awful we felt when we weren't walking hand in hand with Christ. He wants us to remember that focusing on the things of the world leads to our spiritual death, so that we will always want to focus on being spiritually minded, following Christ, and experiencing eternal life. Quote, O oh, then, my beloved brethren, 
Come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. And he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate. For he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. End quote. This is an interesting way to think about our spiritual journey. Jacob is teaching us that Christ isn't at the end of the path, he's at the beginning. If you want eternal life, to experience the love of God in your life, to have true happiness, you have to start with Christ. He's at the gate. Once we've accepted him into our lives, then Christ will lead us down the rest of the path. Quote, O oh, my beloved brethren, turn away from your sins. Shake off the chains of him that would bind you fast. Come unto that God who is the rock of your salvation. Behold, my beloved brethren, remember the words of your God. Pray unto him continually by day and give thanks unto his holy name by night. Let your hearts rejoice. End quote. Let us remember the words of our God and make the decision to follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, today so that we can allow our hearts to rejoice and be happy. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.